we have been through. Zechariah chapter 4 verse number 10 says, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line, that is a synonymous for the end stone, the very last thing. So, for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the finished product or the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. We're going to kick off this series this morning with a well-rounded study and a little bit of theology, a little bit of history, a little bit of linguistics, and a little bit of botany. First, let's look at linguistics. There's a term in linguistics called a heterograph. It's kind of like you have synonyms and antonyms that are more familiar, but a heterograph is a word that has a different spelling and a different meaning but it has the same pronunciation, like the word two, T-W-O, two, T-O, and two, T-O-O. Those are heterographs. There are other names to describe them, but they are also heterographs. They have different spellings, different meanings, but the same pronunciation. Well, that is the concept to describe the radical series. There are two words pronounced radical. One ends in C-L-E, the other ends in C-A-L. They are spelled differently, they are pronounced the same, but they have completely different meanings. So, that's the linguistic component. For the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about radical. One radical in the C-L-E ending, one radical in the C-A-L ending. So, now let me talk about the botany or the botanical component. Because the word radical, R-A-D-I-C-L-E, Um, is the the botanical term. That radical is the first part of a seedling or a growing plant embryo. It's the first part from the seed that breaks out of the shell, emerges from the seed in the process of germination. The radical is that first thing that breaks out and is the embryonic root of the plant. It grows downward into the soil and is the beginning of the entire root system of the plant. It is actually encapsulated in the seed and is the first thing that breaks out of the seed and begins. It is the embryo of the root system of the plant. It is the radical. There is a picture they're going to put up for you of radical on your screen. My, my pointer was broken in the first service. I have power when I have a pointer and they fixed it. So... Um, This element down here, this is the inside of the seed. Uh, There is a line drawn to the radical inside the seed. You can barely see it, but that is the radical actually emerging from the seed. This is what it looks like underground. As it grows and develops, the radical turns into a root. It begins the root system that eventually feeds the plant. But that radical ending in CLE is that embryonic root system contained within a seed and it is the first element to sprout. Now, the other radical, CAL, is the, the first one was a noun. This radical, C-A-L, is an adjective, and it means departing markedly from the usual or the customary. It means extreme. It means revolutionary. Something radical uh, that is going to change. A radically new idea. A revolutionary discovery. You have people say radical political views. And most of the time, when somebody uses the word radical, it is a negative adjective to describe a group of some people that we believe 
are extremists. You have people that have radical uh, religious views or radical political views. And often we use it in a negative connotation. But what if the word radical, C-A-L, the word extreme or revolutionary, departing markedly from usual or customary, what if that word was used to describe the faith of the followers of Jesus Christ? What if it was used to describe the devotion of the way that we lived our lives, that we were radical in our devotion to Jesus Christ? I'm going to spend my time today talking about the embryonic seed type radical, but I'm going to spend a week after next, two weeks from today, talking about the extreme type of radical. Because I believe any type of biblical Christianity today that is lived in the light of a Western church that has fallen asleep and living a compromised version of Christianity, any type of biblical Christianity is going to be viewed as extreme or radical. And I believe it is time for us, if there has ever been a time. When I read Matthew 24 about the signs of the end times, and I read the USA Today and listen to the news, it makes me realize this is not a season that I ought to be flirting around with religious things. If there was ever a time the church needed to discover New Testament Christianity radical faith, this is the day and this is the time. And I have to tell you, when I begin to talk about this two weeks from today, there are probably some of you that are going to be offended by what I bring out of the Scriptures because of what the Scriptures call for in not the American version of the Gospel, but the biblical version of the Gospel because it demands a radical devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, if your God cannot offend you and His Word does not have the prerogative to correct you, then you have a God made of your own hands, crafted for your own selfish reason. Otherwise, if your God has the right to offend you, then you can serve Him instead of Him serving you. So our hearts need to be open to allow the Word of God to speak to us, to correct us, and I believe the message two weeks from today will do just that. Now, let me focus the remainder of my time on the botanical concept of radical, R-A-D-I-C-L-E, the radical or embryonic part of a vision or a dream or a call or a destiny. I realize that North Place Church is a small speck in the ocean of the body of Christ. I understand the body of Christ numbers in the millions upon the millions all around the world from time and will to eternity. And Saxe, Texas and North Place Church is a blip on the radar in the context of the larger body of Christ. I understand that. I realize that our city is a blip on the radar compared to the larger context of the rest of the world. But this is the part of the world that God has planted me to serve in. And this is the congregation and vision that God has connected my heart with. So even though it may be a blip on the radar in the light of the world, or in the larger context of the body of Christ, it is where God put me, and it matters deeply to me. It matters deeply to a whole lot of you. That's the reason the history of how we got here is very important. So we've had the linguistics and the botany now for the history. Many of us don't realize that we are the result of 90 years of history this year. North Place Church began in 1921 from some very humble and unique beginnings. There was a man in the city of Saxe named George Estes 
who heard of a move of God that was happening in Dallas in 1921, and he went to Dallas to attend that meeting. Now, you have to understand, in 1921, going from Saxe to Dallas wasn't as easy as jumping on the tollway and heading downtown. It was a long journey to get from Saxe to Dallas. But this man made that long journey to get to that revival meeting. And there this revival being conducted by a woman named Amy Simple McPherson so impacted the life of George Estes that he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is what we theologically call the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is an empowerment for Christian service for believers. Now we believe every believer is filled with the Spirit of Christ at the moment they become a Christian. But there is an empowerment for Christian service that enables us, as Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. And if you're inquisitive about that empowerment for Christian service, I challenge you to study through the scriptures, specifically look at case studies in the book of Acts. Acts 2, they were filled with the Holy Spirit in this regard, baptizing the Holy Spirit. Again, in Acts 8, in the uh, the city of Samaria. Acts 10, at the house of Cornelius. And in Acts 19, in Ephesus. There are four incidents, case studies of people receiving, believers receiving this empowerment for Christian service. Read through those, study those. Um, And in in a few weeks, I'm going to begin a series on the supernatural, and I'm going to go more in detail. But Mr. Estes experienced this baptism in the Holy Spirit in downtown Dallas during that revival. This experience so transformed his life that when he came back to Saxe, he began having cottage prayer meetings or house prayer meetings. So the foundation of this church was in people's houses. These house prayer meetings were from one house to the next and it began to grow until there were a network of houses praying together. And during these house prayer meetings, there was a lady by the name of Miss Day. Miss Day had tuberculosis and she made her way into one of these house prayer meetings and by the power of the name of Jesus, she was miraculously healed through the power of prayer in the name of Jesus. And because of this uh, amazing miracle, the, the word of what God was doing among this little group of people praying in houses began to grow and more people began to come until in 1925 they moved into an empty bank building in Saxe in which they soon outgrow and they purchased a portion of the property that we are sitting on today in 1926 and they built their first building. They were called in 1926 when they were officially set in order the Pentecostal Assemblies of God and then later they became Saxe Assembly of God until 2007 when we acquired the name North Place Church to give us a regional impact because we desire to have different campuses in different cities in the years to come. And North Place Church allows us to be able to do that, to reach this region for the cause of Christ. But it was the same entrepreneurial drive of our forefathers that drove us to today. And we believe today it is the same spirit that changed the life of George Estes that is still changing the lives of people today. And it is that desire that we want to create an environment for that spirit to come to transform all of our lives. Now, I want to show you a picture. I think they're going to have it on the screen. This little picture sits in my office every day to remind me of the roots of where this congregation comes from. It's a picture of one of the early buildings of this congregation. Matter of fact, this picture is taken off of a postcard that they sent through the mail to advertise the church. When you pull this off, I have the actual postcard in front of me. When you pull it off and look on the back, it actually says one and a half cents is what it cost to send the postcard when they sent this. 
This is actually uh, not the actual very first building they ever met in, but you can see the humble beginnings. Now, what I want you to, what I want you to point you to is that the people that inhabited that building had no idea that in 2011 we would be standing here today in a much more updated building with the technology that we have and as many people gathered here in this room as there are now. They had no idea. Matter of fact, most of the people that would have gone to church at that time would have believed Jesus would have already come back before 2011. Because their theology was Jesus is coming soon. There was an imminent return. I still believe that. And our time scale is not... There is not uh, God's time scale. He, he's going to, in His own sovereignty, fulfill that theological promise. He's coming back. But because they lived every day like today could be the day, they probably did not have the foresight to think there's going to be a church sitting there in 2011 and have a strategic plan to see us in it. But what they did was they had a radical vision, an embryonic seedling on the inside of them that was the destiny of God that He had planted on the inside of them. But the building, they could not have imagined the building that we're in, uh, the seeds they were sowing. They had no idea that those seeds would inevitably produce you or that it would inevitably produce this. Just ask Oscar and Lenny Roland. They attend our church. They were here in the early service this morning. Oscar and Lenny have been coming to church here for nearly 50 years and they know some of these people that were around in the beginning personally and uh, they will tell you stories that they when they Oscar and Lenny came to the church um, it had gone through some ups and downs and and there were 17 people here and six of them were in Oscar and Lenny's family um they, they said, we never imagined there would be a day. When we built the next building, they said, the one after this, and it seated 300, they said, we were a megachurch. We thought we had arrived when we had a building that would seat 300 people. What I want you to understand is those people had no idea that what is going on today would be going on. They were the radical of this vision. They were the embryonic seedling of the vision that God wants to do. The vision was bigger than their ability to imagine. And I'm going to tell you, I believe with all of my heart, we are still in the embryonic stages of the vision and destiny for North Place Church. We are still the radical of that vision. Because in years to come, there are going to be people that look back on pictures of this building and look at it with a little bit of humility in the same way we look at this building. In 25 years, Thousands of believers are going to gather on that 140-acre campus and they're going to be worshiping God. Some of us will already be in heaven, but they're going to be telling stories of our faith in the same way we're telling stories of their faith because we are part of something bigger than us. This vision almost died in the 80s. Matter of fact, denominational leaders were about to close the doors of this church when a young man who was a youth pastor at the time said, if you'll give me a chance to be a lead pastor, I'll go take that church. Don't close it. And that's when in his early 30s, Rick and Rita DuBose came to be the pastors here and they pastored this congregation from a 17-member congregation to hundreds of people by the time Haley and I arrived in 2005. The reason I want you to be here next week is because Rick is going to connect the dots with our past and speak a word into our future. I want you to understand God's doing something among us. Now, for the theology and a little more history. 
I started out reading this morning from Zechariah chapter 4. And it talked about not despising the small things. Because the people that see the small things today are eventually going to rejoice. You need to understand the context in which the prophet Zerubbabel spoke his prophetic word. The nation of Israel had been Babylonian slaves for years. Now they have returned in fulfillment of God's promise. They have been delivered from their slavery and returned back to their homeland. When they first came back, there was a great degree of excitement. I mean, they were going to rebuild Jerusalem, just like the prophet said. They were going to restore the temple, just like the prophet said. When they came back, there was all of this excitement. So they began working, restoring the city walls. And they began working, restoring the temple. And Zerubbabel was in charge of doing that. And he poured the foundation of the temple. But they immediately ran into opposition, political, spiritual, they were their own apathy and complacency. And now, when we pick up in Zechariah, we are 20 years after all of that excitement. 20 years after their return from exile. The excitement has waned. Opposition is in front of them. And they are dogged by discouragement. The walls of Jerusalem are not rebuilt. And the temple, the only aspect of the temple that is there is the foundation that Zerubbabel laid when he first returned in all of their excitement. The nation has given up on the promises of God. They are about to throw the towel in on God. Matter of fact, if the prophet said the temple was going to be restored and Jerusalem was going to be restored and it hasn't, why are you going to be faithful and obedient to a God who no longer gives up on his, who no longer fulfills his promises? So in their mind, God had given up on his promises. They were going to give up on him. So the nation of Israel was not only materially in decline, it was spiritually in decline. And that's when Zechariah steps to the pulpit and begins to prophesy the words that he speaks. He begins to speak to them in chapters 1 through 3. He addresses their discouragement and he says this in chapters 1 through 3. There is an envoy from heaven that is watching over you as a people. God has not forgotten you and there is going to come a day in his sovereign time when he is going to right every wrong and he is going to reorder the universe. Be patient. Then he goes on to tell them, If you are his people and you will return your hearts back to him, then he will turn his heart back to you. But you need to repent. You are away from him. You have gone asleep spiritually. You have given up on his promise when it didn't come through in your time and you have turned your heart away. The prophet said, if you will turn back to God, he will turn back to you. And then he emphatically restated the promise of God to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and to restore the temple and reaffirm that God is a covenant-keeping and a faithful God. Now that leads you to chapter 4, verse 1. And the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And Zechariah said, I see, and behold, a lampstand of gold with, bowl, with a bowl on the top of it, and seven lamps on it, and seven lips on each lamp that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl, the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? In other words, you're speaking to me in symbolism and riddles, and I don't understand. The angel who talked with me answered and said, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. And then he said this to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, 
nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid the shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. Jerusalem and the temple is promised in these verses that it will be rebuilt. He's saying the voice of the Lord through the prophet to a discouraged leader named Zerubbabel and a discouraged nation. He's saying the temple will be rebuilt. Jerusalem will be restored. It's going to take your arms, your legs, your backbone, your sweat, and your investment. But that's not enough. You won't rebuild this temple. You won't restore this city. It's not going to happen by your might. It's going to happen by the power and the Spirit of the Lord. And then in verse 7, he refers to the mountain. You have to understand, there was a mountain of rubble in Jerusalem. The destroyed gates was a mountain of rubble. The destroyed temple was laying in a mountain of rubble. And that mountain of rubble was a symbol of Israel's past defeat. Every time they walked by that temple, it reminded them of being taken into captivity. Every time they saw that destroyed temple, it reminded them of being slaves in Babylon. Of their women being raped and their children being enslaved and their difficult life. They were free, but all around them was the mountain of defeat, the mountain of the past, the mountain of their, of their destruction. And so Zerubbabel steps up in the middle of their discouragement and says, The word of the Lord to you is this. It may take your backbone, but it won't be your backbone only. It is going to be not by might or power of human ingenuity, but it is going to be by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. And then he looks at the mountain of rubble. He puts his finger in that mountain and he says, This mountain shall become a plain, and there will come a day when you will stand and say, Grace, grace to this mountain, and the Lord is going to keep His promise. What is standing in the way of the vision, the obstacles that are in your path, the things you can't climb over or get around, the Lord is going to make them flat just like he did the walls of Jericho and he prophesied to the mountain grace, grace to it. Now what I love in verse number 8 is that the promise was not just to the nation. The promise was to the man Zerubbabel as well. Because Zerubbabel was the leader that tried to get all of the excitement and got the foundation laid and the people got discouraged and they gave up. And 20 years the temple has sat unfinished. You have to understand, if you're Israel and you're the people of God, the temple is a symbol of your identity. The temple is the place where the divine presence of God dwells. And without God, they are not a people. Without a temple, they have no identity. And so for 20 years, they have fallen after a season of slavery to now a people with an opportunity to be rebuilding this identity with God. And they have squandered that opportunity. And the prophet is speaking to them that if you will turn your heart back, God is promising grace to remove all of the obstacles that are in your way. Your mountain will become a plain. But the word of the Lord also said this. 
the hands of Zerubbabel who laid the foundation is going to be around to complete it. He said, Zerubbabel, don't you give up on the vision. Don't you stop before the miracle. I know there's been a long delay between the promise and its fulfillment. And like the nation, you may be tempted to give up, but you need to hang on. Your hands have laid the foundation and your hand will see it come to pass. I will rebuild the temple. Do not. He ends with this word. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. There are a lot of people that overlooked it. They doubted that God will fulfill His promise. How is God going to turn this city of rubble back into the great Jerusalem? How is God going to rebuild the great temple on that pile of rubble over there? People have given up. They are discouraged. And God's word for them was, in the midst of your discouragement, don't despise the radical. Don't despise the embryonic seed of the vision. Don't despise the small things or the the little things because God not by might or power of man but by his spirit is going to keep his word and restore the city he's going to fulfill his destiny you see people that despise the radical thing the small thing are looking for big meetings big ministries big moves and big moments those people will not work unless they have the biggest job the most visible job. They won't teach unless they have the most prominent or largest class. They will not serve unless it's to the big crowds. I have a saying among us here as our pastors that if we're not willing to clean the platform when we're done speaking, we have no right to be speaking in the first place. Because in the kingdom, the custodian is as important and valuable in the work of the Lord as the preacher. There is no big eyes and little you at the foot of the cross. The one person that touches the life of a child in the nursery is as significant as Billy Graham in the concept of building the kingdom and establishing his work in the lives of people. We cannot despise the embryonic. We cannot despise the radical. We cannot despise the day of small beginnings. We forget that God starts the biggest things with the smallest things. When He gets ready to break into our world in extraordinary measures, He often starts with neglected, the forsaken, the smallest, so that the wisdom of the world will be confounded and His glory will be received. He uses His anointing on the least likely to succeed. Look at history. And see when God does the biggest that he doesn't start with the smallest. When Jesus broke into the world, what did they say about him? What good can come from Nazareth? They despised his beginnings. They despised where he came from. Because Nazareth was some rural forgotten town. I think about it often when I travel around the Metroplex. And they ask me where I pastor. And I tell them, Saxe. And they said, I've lived in Dallas my whole life. I've never even heard of that place. And I, and I think to myself, what better place for God to establish a move, a work, a church than in a city that has been forgotten, a city that is so small that has been despised, a city that is called Sashi from now to eternity. 
It is a perfect place for God to say, I'm going to reach a nation. I'm going to reach a world. I need a wellspring of revival. I need a people of prayer. I need some open hearts that understand they're connected to something that's been established for 90 years that will continue should the Lord tarry for another century into the future. We are a part of something bigger than we are. We don't even, I believe, we don't even have the mind to imagine what God has in store for us. We are no different from these people. Our surroundings are no less humble than theirs were compared to what God desires to do. It will happen. The mountain will become a plain. He is speaking to us. Grace, grace to it this morning. The Bible is full of radical things. Embryonic things. Small things being used for God's glory. A little shepherd boy defeated a giant. Twelve insignificant disciples changed the world. God reduced a 32,000 member army under Gideon because it wasn't radical enough. He needed it to be embryonic. So he took a 32,000 man army and made made it 300 men so he could start something great with something small. A little lad's lunch of loaves and fish fed 5,000 men. Before Elijah ever saw the storm for rain that he had prayed for, it began as a cloud about the size of a man's hand. In the cave, Elijah saw, the he found God not in the wind, not in the fire, and not in the storm, but he heard the still, small, radical, embryonic voice of God. God used shepherd's slings and shepherd's rods and prophet's mantles and a woman's cruise of oil and one dip from being gone and dry it opened up. One meal barrel, one scoop from being empty and depleted began to restore because God is in the business of taking radical embryonic seedlings, laying His anointing on the weak and the overlooked and restoring it for His glory. The mountain will become a a plain, not by might nor by power, but by His Spirit. I declare it to this church today and I declare it to any of you standing between a promise and a miracle. The mountain will become a plain. Grace, grace to it. God will flatten your obstacles and keep His promises in your lives. I learned something years ago about leading anything. Whether it's leading a church, our family, a business, anything that has people in it. Many leaders approach leading a family, a marriage, a church, like they are a mechanic and they are going to correct the problems that come up mechanically. So the leader brings his toolbox, her toolbox, and begins to fix the problem. The issue, though, is in, in working on a car or doing something engineering, the problems are concrete and the solutions are concrete because you're dealing with an inanimate object. But leaders don't lead inanimate objects. Your family is alive. Your marriage is alive. The organization of the church is alive. So you don't have concrete problems and concrete solutions and there's not always a tool in the toolbox to fix it. So a leader is much less of a mechanic and more of a gardener. I don't have a set of tools to fix a problem. I have a garden and I'm cultivating vision. I'm cultivating destiny. 
I have to weed the garden. I have to add fertilizer to the garden. I have to be patient in the garden. I have to give the garden time to grow because the organization is alive. So I'm not a mechanic with my tool set. I'm a gardener, weeding, loving, caring, giving patience and time, cultivating an environment because a vision uh, that God has called this congregation to steward is alive. It, is, it may start small, but inside that little seed is one embryonic root called a radical. It is the small beginning of a root system that will grow a tree, that will yield enough seed that will eventually grow a forest. For every acorn contains the promised potential of a forest. Every bird contains the promised potential of a flock. Every fish contains the promised potential of a school. And on the inside of every one of us and on the inside of this congregation is the promised potential of a God-given destiny that once that potential is realized, it can literally change the world. And I believe that with all of my heart. I have an invitation for you this morning. I want you to join me in stewarding, cultivating this radical vision that God has given us as a church. In 1921, the people there in this little building would have never imagined the magnitude of what God would have done over the decades that followed them. The vision was bigger than they had the power to conceive. I still believe we are in the embryonic stages of what God has planned for North Place Church. It is that power to believe that gets me awake early in the morning and puts me to bed late at night. That dream that somehow God is going to, through His Spirit, enable this church to reach the unreached peoples of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. There are families driving by this church today, some on their way home from spring break, others on the way to the golf course, maybe even it's warm enough, the lake. Going about their business and their routine, they're unhappy in their families, they're ill-equipped in raising their children, their finances are a mess, and in their yelling at night among themselves, they're crying, I just wish there was an answer. And yet we sit in this service every Sunday, we praise the answer, we embody the answer, but yet we stay on our side and they stay on theirs and there's a great gulf between us and somehow... God has to bridge that gulf. Not between eternity. He bridged the gulf through the cross. But between us and them. So that we become that place that these people wanted us to become. A lighthouse for wounded and broken ships tossed by the winds of an unfair world. I don't know that I even have the power to dream it. And when I start talking about it, I make people nervous. And I get ashamed when I dream about it on two fronts. Because when I dream about it out loud, people think in their minds, it'll never happen that way, preacher. And then I get ashamed that I'm boyish and naive to even think that big. And yet when I'm full of faith, I realize in my heart that my brain does not even have the capacity to think to the level of what God really wants to do among us. We are as embryonic in the vision now as they were 90 years ago. Now, just because it's God's plan doesn't mean it's going to happen. 
the will of God is voted down in churches every week all over America. God has a will that is not followed all the time. He gave us a free will and that's where the trouble started. And that's where it starts today. So what we have to keep doing, you know, the, so, the awesome thing about the faithfulness of God is that when our will leads us astray just like it did in Zechariah, he ra- to the people in that time, in Zach- he raises up a voice and says, I'm faithful if you'll turn back, so will I. That's what he's saying to us today. You are pregnant with something bigger than you. It's been handed to you. Run the leg of the race. Don't wear out. Don't get discouraged. I know it hadn't happened as fast. That's the reason the word, the personal word to Zerubbabel was a word to me. The hand that laid the foundation is going to be able to see the capstone finished. And I took that corporate word, but I also was encouraged as a leader that God spoke to the leader and said, hang on, buddy, don't give up. Just because you're not seeing it as fast as you want to doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I'm a covenant God, I am faithful, and I keep my promise. And I want to say to those of you in this room today who are blinded by divorce, death, defeat, discouragement, whatever may be going on around you that has stolen your joy, you know God has spoken to you about health or restoration. There was hope somewhere in your past, but the discouragement of life has drained the hope out of you, and you're like the nation of Israel, dogged by discouragement today, and the Lord wants to impart hope for you today so that you can believe again so that you are not defined by your circumstances but you are defined by his promise the delay is not a denial oh but pastor I just don't have the faith to believe I don't have enough you know it doesn't matter how little or weak your faith may be getting results is not based on your level of faith getting results is based on the power of the object in which you have faith It's biblical. If you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, in an object, him, that has the power to move mountains, he'll move mountains. It's not on the basis of your faith how strong or mighty you may be spiritually. If I'm falling out of a tree and I reach over to grab a branch and on my way down I say that branch and I say, nah, that branch isn't good enough to hold me. I'm going to keep on falling. But somewhere in me, even though I don't think the branch can hold me and I'm not sure it'll work, I'm weak in my faith. I reach out and grab it. And if the branch is strong enough, I am held in safety. It's not the object of my faith that saved me. It's the strength. Of, it's not my faith that saved me. It's the strength of the object in which I have the faith. You need to follow Christ today. You're a seeker. You're discouraged, you're mad at the church, you're mad at life, you're mad at people. Preachers have failed you. Listen, I know your face weak, but that's the reason he said, if you've got faith, the grain of mustard seed, the object of your faith is not me. The object of your faith is not this church. The object of the faith is not other Christians in this room. The object of the faith is Jesus, and he is a branch strong enough to support you in the tumble that you're right now in. How can you join me in cultivating this radical vision? One of the best ways to connect to the past and bridge the past to the future is to invest in the present. In a few weeks, we're going to add a a third service at North Place. That did not happen without a lot of prayer, consultation, people smarter than us trying to talk us through the process. 
I'm going to ask those that are going to help me musically if they would come. And our ushers, I want you to prepare to do something. Don't start yet because they're going to put this invitation into your hands. I'm going to give you this morning before we go. It's going to take our arms and legs to make this happen, but it will be by His sovereign might and power when it does. And so some people would say, well, Pastor, going to multiple services again, adding another one adds a lot of needs. It does. But I prefer to see those needs as opportunities because here's the reality. In most churches all over America, there are more spectators than there are participators. Now, I will tell you in a very encouraging way that North Place shatters the normal statistics of the people that bear the load on their backs, but we still have plenty of spectators that have not invested in their talents to building the church and serving in ministry. And you're not complete, according to Ephesians 4, as a believer until you're putting your gifts to work to further the kingdom. When we go to a third service beginning April the 10th, third English service. We have four already. This will be the fifth of the day. The third English service. Um, it's going to create opportunities. I'm going to ask our service host if they would to serve you today and place these into your hands so that I can walk through these with you because in my heart I really believe the radical vision, the embryonic vision that is in this room. God's putting in our hearts. We're sharing this thing together today. And He's going to speak specifically to some of our hearts as to how we can be involved in it. You know, I'm struggling with my voice today. I've been out of the practice for a week or two because I was off last week. And uh, I've asked myself, God, how's my voice going to hold up for another service? There's investment by all of us that is going to have to happen to make this work. But in order for it to work as a congregation, there are going to be folks that we need to participate in parking lot teams. You see that on your card, first impressions. Parking lot teams, service hosts, which are the kind folks that are serving you now. Greeters, those are the kind people that welcome you when you walk in the doors around the entryways of this church. That's what we call our first impressions team. Our kind friends at the First Baptist Church across the road have granted us use of their unused parking space and in order to adequately use that. Because see, going to two services is less about needing more room in this building, this actual sanctuary, and it is more about being out of parking space and out of space for our kids in the back. We want to create smaller services in here. I mean, that would be ideal to have three smaller services. It It gives us room to grow in here, but it also gives us more room to park, and more adequate space to minister to our kids. One of the ways we're going to be able to utilize that parking and create the flow is with a resurrected parking team. And we've had one in the past. It needs to be better staffed. Media, the audio, the video, the lighting, we're about to launch in the few weeks an online campus where people that don't live in Dallas from around the world or sick or shut in that can't get into our building can literally log in live and watch us at a regular time. It's like having a broadcast without the expense of television. The internet provides for us. And so our media team plays a vital component in that advance of the gospel. 
these cameras that you're looking at are going to become missionaries. Because people that won't walk through the doors of this church with you might watch a sermon online and it becomes a ramp to get them in the building. So the cameramen and media people become missionaries. Then you heard me a couple weeks ago talk about North Place Kids and North Place Kids Junior. One of our children's directors, the Dufrens, have an illness in their family. And then John Michael and Tiffany are about to have their first child at a season when we are in the greatest need in our children's department. And even if you're not called to children's ministry, but you carry this vision, this radical vision in your heart, this embryonic thing of something that's going to be really big, and you want to be a part of it, one of our areas of greatest need going to three services is adequately ministering to kids at 8.30, at 10, and 11.30. And then a resource center. One of the ways we're going to become more efficient is spend less time making verbal announcements, become better in our printed material, and create places in our foyer area, one of which is a resource center, where people can stop by, get information, and get answers to their questions. So we're revitalizing and recreating our resource center we need some really kind, hospitable people to staff that week in and week out. There are all kinds of opportunities. I'm about to make a personal application and the prayer team is going to pray with us today. But I really want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. The best way to connect with our past and affect our future is to invest in the present. And God wants you more than He wants anything else you have. And if you'll give your life away, and impact one. This all started when one man was touched, started a prayer meeting that grew into a church. What would happen if God touched all of us in that same way? I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. And I, I want you to, if you can, write your name and contact and fill this out. This coming Saturday, uh, here, right here in the sanctuary, Pastor John, our executive pastor, myself, and some of our leaders we're going to go through a short training that is going to help you get acquainted with each or any of these ministry areas that you want to be a part of. And you say, but pastor, I don't know if I have ability. It's never been about ability. It's always been about availability. And if you're available, His anointing can make up the difference. I want our service host to come forward today and they're going to serve you. So I want to give you a moment, if you would, Put your information down. Respond in one or more of these areas that God may be asking you to be a part of. And um, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to call you to service the way He called me into ministry. And then we're going to stand and our prayer team is going to come. Because I really believe there's somebody's mountain that has gotten them discouraged and we need to agree together that the mountain becomes a plain and speak grace, grace to that mountain today. Father, I pray the Holy Spirit will speak to members of this congregation, those that there are people under the sound of my voice that have come from other churches or hurtful religious situations and they've been wounded and they just came here to hide and they've used their hiding as a reason not to be involved. And today the Holy Spirit is going to say at least to some of them, today's the day. There are others that have been involved in the past and took a break. The Lord's saying to them, today's the day. There are others that have been for years Sunday morning adherents, but today God is saying, carry your weight, invest your sweat, help build the temple, 
help change lives. Today, God, may the embryonic vision that founded this place 90 years ago, that entrepreneurial spirit and the power of God that changed lives, touch our hearts this morning. May the need more than be supplied because it's not a need. It's an opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Service host, if you would come and if you fill this out, place it in the offering, please. And if you have questions or you need to pray about it, do so. But if you can at all respond today, it would be so beneficial. I'm going to ask the prayer team of this service if they would, our 11 o'clock prayer team, if you would, as the offering makes its way by you, if you would make your way to the front of the building and position yourself for prayer. Would you do that? Just kind of make your way to the front and begin to position yourself for prayer. I believe this is a very profound moment. There are some of you that have been defeated by a diagnosis and you believe God's going to heal you. There are some of you that have been defeated by a financial situation and you believe that God is going to do something. There are some of you that have believed for restoration in a relationship. But the time between your promise and its fulfillment has left you wondering like Israel, will the temple ever be rebuilt? Are God's promises even true? And you would have to admit today you're discouraged. I believe there's a prophetic word to you in the delay between your promise and the miracle. Your mountain is going to become a plain. And the word of the Lord to you is grace, grace to you. Would you stand with me all over this place this morning? And if you're a part of the prayer team looking to get out, would you come now? And if you need prayer this morning, because you're in between a promise and a miracle for reasons I may not even be able to mention, but you're standing in the no man's land in the dark hour of delay, and you need God to impart hope to your life, you step out from where you are and let some of these prayer partners come into agreement with you today declare with you the word of the Lord speak to the mountain or the rubble of past defeat in your life and speak hope and encouragement to you I believe today is a day of hope and encouragement and it's available for you this morning it's not going to be by your might but by his power and his spirit says the Lord you need Christ in your life you need to reach with weak faith out and grab a hold of that branch these people can help you today Father I pray a blessing over this congregation there are discouraged people still making their way to the altar